Welcome to Voices of Care, the podcast series from New Cross Healthcare, which seeks to get to the heart of the issues facing the NHS and the social care sector here in the UK. Really by initiating, engaging with, and through conversations with those that lead the organisations across the health and social care to move the envelope in the discussion about how we enable the healthcare workforce of the future. I'm Sahel Mirza, and perhaps there's never been a more transformative time with a new legislative framework for the NHS and workforce issues prominent in news articles and specialist journals. It's vital that we therefore hear from people who lead these organisations, and I'm delighted and honoured to welcome Professor Joe Harrison, the Chief Executive of Milton Keynes University Health NHS Foundation Trust. Joe, welcome, and thank you so much for giving us your time again. Delighted to be here. So, oh. I'd like to jump straight in. Um, the news we have uh, have had a series of health secretaries, uh, lots of change going on uh, at the top, but honing in on healthcare workforce issues. We're going to look at wellness, we're going to look at digital transformation, but looking at the broad picture, if I may, uh, Jeremy Hunt in uh, July of this year um, stated that this is the greatest workforce crisis the NHS has ever seen. Uh, if I may be so bold as to quote you, you've been quoted in specialist press saying that uh, you're worried that the NHS is in danger of sitting around singing Kumbaya as the Titanic sinks. Is it sinking? And if it is, workforce-wise, where are the lifeboats? I think we are in danger of allowing the NHS to sink. What I find really interesting is when you look at the demand for doctor's places at university, for nurses' places, allied healthcare professionals. People want to be doctors and nurses and allied healthcare professionals. They want to train. Where we've got to play catch-up as an NHS is to make sure we capture these individuals, train them appropriately, and then get them to come and help and work in the NHS. Absolutely. I think today with the stats showing six-figure vacancies, which is not a new thing. It's been around from pre-pandemic days. I wanted to touch upon the nurse cohort very briefly. Um, the Trust's board papers from uh, earlier this month in September highlighted uh, that actually nurses, in terms of your workforce strategy for nurses, work, nurses were keen to work for the Trust. So maybe shed a bit of light on you're obviously doing some good things in that regard. We know that our staff are our most important asset. And looking after them and attracting people to come and work in places like Milton Keynes, it's not a big London teaching hospital. We have to go that little bit further, that little bit faster than other organisations who might rely on their name and reputation clinically to attract the very best. And what we've been doing over the last few years is putting our heart and soul into making sure that MK is a great place to work. And we're now seeing some of the results of that. No, clearly. And to expand that a little bit, um, drawing on the analogy of the, a sinking ship, um, really innovative things uh, is to perhaps create your, your own one. And I'm fascinated by the partnership that you have with Buckingham University, the first independent medical school. Um, tell us a little bit more about that, because I think it's, not, it's something that deserves to be very much more well known. Um, and it's about facing that challenge. I and mean, you can go international, but growing your own medical workforce it's a fantastically inspired piece of vision. We recognise that all of the research shows that if people train locally, then they're more likely to, once they're qualified, stay locally. Mm. So back in 2015, we took a decision with Buckingham University to open our independent medical school. And what we've seen is several hundred doctors now qualifying over the years 
And that really has been positive, not only for those qualifying, but also in attracting great people to come and come and work at MKUH because they want to teach. A lot of the professionals that come through the NHS recognize that they learned from great people. Mm. And so as a consequence, teaching is, is a really inspiring and interesting skill that a lot of our doctors and nurses want to, want to do and want to pass on their knowledge to the next generation. And so it really has been a, a virtuous circle of not only attracting people to come and train in Milton Keynes, but also attracting great people to come and teach in Milton Keynes. And a combination of those two things has really, really helped us. And looking a little bit further into the future, before we dive into looking at wellness, which is such a critical issue and close to your heart, and the digital transformation, there is a, not a unique, but certainly a um, pressing challenge for Milton Keynes. If we look at the local population projections, you're set to grow, I think, 2.4% annually, if I've got my numbers right, which is substantially in excess of the national average, so doubling the population over the course of a generation, frankly. So that demand is going to be inexorable. I, I guess this is part of the strategy to make sure that you meet that demand from local talent. It is, and we're very conscious that we can't just rob Peter to pay Paul. We have to make sure that other hospitals and other parts of the health and care system around us can also attract great people. This is about growing our own. It is about attracting people who might otherwise go and work in other professions to come and join the NHS. We have over 350 professions in the NHS. <laughs> There's a job for almost everybody from plumber through to general practitioner through to the orthopaedic surgeon. So we want to get as many great people to come and work in Milton Keynes for the health and care system, and that's what we're focusing on. Yeah, and, and one very final point about the independent school. I mean, it's, it's, it's gathered a lot of accolades and some great feedback from people who've gone through that. Yes, there's no question that um, we have worked with the University of Buckingham to teach in a different way. There are no textbooks in our <laughs> medical school. When, when the student arrives, they're given an iPad, and they're able to provide feedback on the lecture and the lecturer at the end of each session so we immediately know how that's been received by the individual and what we need to do to change and improve and that's very very different from a lot of the standard medical schools in the country that rely on textbooks and also only gather feedback at fairly 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 odd times so we want it immediately so that we can change immediately it's certainly going to keep the teachers on their on their toes if absolutely. nothing else absolutely um, if we can move on to wellness well-being it's at the heart of the nhs people plan as we know uh, going back to the health and social care select committee not not this year but last year describe burnout as an emergency situation. Uh, the Nuffield, Fe Nuffield Trust has uh, uh, produced research uh, published in July this year quoting actual rates of PTSD within the NHS at 9%, above the double, but more than double the, uh, uh, the average. And I just wanted to get a feel before we look at solutions. The General Medical Council in its training survey found that two-thirds of trainee doctors were reporting some level of burnout. So just to get your feel, because you're literally at the coalface, just how challenging is the situation in terms of well-being and burnout? We know that the global pandemic impacted a lot of people in a lot of different ways and very clearly clinical staff on the front line and those professionals that were supporting that clinical team um, did go above and beyond and as a consequence a number are feeling 
the effects of, of that pandemic. In it, many people listening to this will, I have no doubt, be thinking, well, hang on a second, I lost a parent, I lost a, I lost a, a member of my family, I've been impacted as well. I, I completely agree with that. And I think there's a big and here, mm. which is we don't forget that the NHS team, the health and care team as a whole, were dealing with the unknown day in, day out, 24-7 for months. And it is that relentless pressure that has ultimately taken its toll on a number of people. And I said at the very start, our workforce is our most important asset and we now have to go that extra mile to make sure that we look after, repair any damage if we can to individuals, support individuals so that we can get back to being the great health and care system that we were before the pandemic. Now, thank you um, for your candour. I think it's important that we are in a post-restriction, COVID restriction world, but the ramifications of that uh, heroism, if I may call it that, to work around the clock with the unknown, which itself is an added stress. And I think with, um, you would have seen the Deloitte report in March of this year, looking at the, uh, the impact, the economic impact of poor mental health that costs the economy £56 billion. Turning to the imperative now to do something about it. The, the MK way, um, your, your strategy, your workforce strategy, highlights compassion at the very centre of what you do, absolutely mirroring the NHS people plan. Um, before we talk about digital solutions, I just wanted to give you the opportunity to share some of the things that you're most proud of. I know there's a, a raft of things that the Trust has done, is doing, and intends to do to help the workforce, clinical and non-clinical, really traverse its way out of the ramifications of the COVID challenge? I think the first thing to say is, Suhail, that we are one team at Milton Keynes University Hospital. Um, whether you're a clinician, whether you're a porter, whether you're an accountant in the finance department, you all matter and you are all needed to make the hospital work well. And so when we look at the health and wellbeing offers that we provide to the team, we make sure that it is across the board and it enables as many people to access as many of the opportunities as we can. If I look at some of the very basic ones, we took a decision four years ago that we would not charge people to come to work mm. by offering free car parking. We've expanded that now to a point where, because we have invested so heavily in our green agenda, our green technology agenda, by putting solar panels across the site, we now enable staff to charge their electric cars for free, uh, promoting green travel and another benefit to individuals that work there. We recognise that there are going to be some significantly difficult times ahead economically, so we have decided that we will play our part in providing members of the team with a healthy, affordable meal every day, and that is two pounds. And instead of coming in and paying a pound for a portion of chips, and, and maybe that's all you have all day to eat, uh, what we're saying to members of staff is that we will, we will provide a proper meal for you for two pounds. We've also looked at those members of staff that just do not want to do full-time work anymore, mm and who perhaps aren't able to. We still know that women carry the vast majority of childcare pressures in our society, whether we like it or not. Um, so how do we support the 70% of our workforce that is female? And so we're, we're just, as I speak, bringing in an any hours contract. The NHS has been 
focused on shift work. And it says you can do an early or late or a 12-hour shift. That's not how millennials want to run their lives. It's not how individuals post-pandemic are thinking about work. And we have to flex and change that. And so enabling staff to come in and do a couple of hours, to come back from retirement mm. to do a couple of hours, at times that suit them as well as the organisation, has, has received unbelievable support from the team at MK. Unbelievable, because they recognise that it's an opportunity economically to earn a bit more money if they need to, to pay, pay the gas bill or to pay for food because of the challenging times. And it enables people to come back from, from, from retirement who quite often say, I don't want to do a full shift, I'm tired, mm. but I really miss it. And so encouraging people back to work to contribute has been a fantastic benefit. Those are the sorts of things that we're, we're looking at and, and putting all of that into the context of some of the things that your listeners may not know. We know that a significant proportion of our staff, I mentioned 70% mm. are, are female, are either pre- or post-menopausal or going through the menopause. What are organisations doing about the uniforms we're asking staff to wear, the support that we're giving individuals and their partners for what are really, really important times in an individual's life. Absolutely. We've doubled bereavement leave at the hospital. If somebody very close to you dies, are you really going to be back at work in two weeks? The answer to that is very clearly no. So be a sensible employer, show that you care, and enable staff to take appropriate time off. No, absolutely. And um, I, I, as you know, I've had the privilege of spending time with you before and to get some of these initiatives. And they may seem s relatively small, but the difference between having a healthy meal, having bereavement leave um, and an any hours contract, I mean, that's pretty innovative stuff. It's not something that uh, uh, I've seen everywhere. And I, I guess that was just through feedback from the staff and what they wanted. It's feedback from the staff. It's the ability to use technology mm -hmm. in terms of rostering. Yep and a recognition that actually it's better to have somebody who is qualified helping out on part of a shift than to be dogmatic and say, no, you can only work a 12-hour shift and then have no one. So as a hospital, we want to flex to meet the individual's needs alongside the hospital needs, and we know there's a happy medium in there that we are finding. Just to expand that slightly before we look at the digital part, um, I, I know that uh, you're very keen to talk about that. Um, your workforce strategy has three themes, and one of them is, of course, growing careers. And that's very important to well-being. I have a pathway where whatever cohort of occupation group I'm in, how have you fostered that? Because people now want different things, different routes. There are new roles, as you know. So just to expand a bit on that, because I think that's not played so highly in when we talk about wellness. There's offerings, but... Having a sense of direction in your career aids well-being. As with as with um, any any time as a chief exec, uh, you need luck. And what we've seen over the last ten years, nearly ten years that I've been in post, is that the the size of the organisation has grown considerably. Because relatively speaking, we are a we're a newbie in the NHS as a hospital. We only, only opened in 1984, mm. and as we've grown. Or we've grown at a time when 
all of these new and different demands about skills that individuals want and career pathways and opportunities to innovate outside of the standard roles of the NHS have, have become available. And therefore, we've said, well, why don't we try that? Why don't, why don't we try and ensure that people can move in a different way to how it used to be 10, 20 years ago? And by doing that, it just potentially keeps people in the workforce. It keeps people in MK in a way that perhaps other organisations haven't been as fortunate to be able to achieve. No, it's brilliant. As, as you say, retention and attraction are two sides of a coin that has to be looked at closely. I want to jump on to um, digital transformation, your digital data and uh, tech strategies, which I think pans out to 2026. You're on record as quoted as saying that you have to make digital part of the DNA um, and also to use the digital strategy to align to well-being and to offer digital tools that, to quote, know who you are. Can you expand a bit, little bit about some of the digital tools that are being used because technology potentially has the uh, ability to transform the working lives of clinicians and non-clinicians um, and to help them fulfill what they can do with less challenge. Absolutely and we, and we started off in a we started off this podcast talking about the, the sort of crisis and, and, and for me technology offers the NHS absolutely a significant part of the, the solution. We know we can do more with less we know that with sensible investment in technology, we can enable our workforce to deliver better outcomes. And so what we've been doing at MK is understanding what makes a difference to, I suppose, sort of five different areas we look at it. We look at what makes difference to our patients mm. and how we engage them. What makes difference to the team, the staff at the hospital? What's going on with clinical technology? I mentioned a moment ago, green technology. Yep. And also probably the most fundamental part of it all, which a lot of organisations sometimes don't focus on enough, the real infrastructure. So when somebody from Apple comes to see us on site and says, you have the best Wi-Fi of any hospital I've ever been to, you say, well, great, and that's an absolute so investing in the basics in that part, in that infrastructure part, is is critical to making those other four elements work. No, and that's quite an accolade from someone from Apple to come and say that. Can you expand a bit on the uh, smart healthcare environment? Uh, because that um, places of work, the, in, the infrastructure you mentioned, has a profound, all the studies show, has a profound impact on clinicians being able to work to the top of their license, people to be able to access safer spaces and to be more productive. And with the efficiency challenges, sorry to bring those back to the table, uh, that the NHS faces over the next uh, couple of years, um, having a smart environment actually aids not only well-being but productivity potentially. So if you, if you look at where I think quite a few organisations have got to in the NHS, the electronic patient record, yep. well, that's, that's great as a step one. What that enables is a clinician anywhere in the world to have a look at that medical record, if appropriate, obviously, with appropriate governance, and to get involved if they're required. Actually, it's only step one. It's mm. not the end point. And where we are going in Milton Keynes is how we take the data within that medical record and use it with technology to inform 
identification of the sickest patients, what's likely to happen to some of those patients, how we can access a view of what we could do with those patients differently. This might sound, um, might sound a bit odd, but realistically, not every patient is the same. Mm-hmm. And we know that there is now technology available that can help our doctors and nurses to predict what's going to happen next. Yep. And so using that electronic patient record and the technologies available, how do we focus what are scarce clinical resources at the not just the sickest patients now, but also those patients that are going to be sick because technology is getting to a place now whereby we can predict it much, much better. That's, a, that's, that's one example. Another example is that we know that machine learning is making some really, really big inroads in diagnostics. Yep. We know that this country, relative to other health-leading countries, is behind on diagnostics. How do we use machine learning to screen out those scans that are not requiring an expensive for a clinician to look at and, and are normal, for want of a better term, um, and get those clinicians to focus on the really sick individuals that are requiring of their input. Other, other areas that we're really, really keen on is very often we don't involve the patient as much as we should. And when we talk about a smart healthcare environment, a key part of that smart healthcare is the patient. So imagine a scenario whereby if you phoned your bank, they said to you, you can't have your balance and we can't tell you the transactions that you've made. <laughs> you just would change banks immediately. And effectively, that's what hospitals do with your healthcare record. We don't allow you immediate live access to that healthcare record. So if we want you to engage in your healthcare and we want you to take your healthcare more seriously, we have to provide you the information live in a format that you can readily access and in a way that informs you and enables you to take decisions about your own healthcare and not just present at the emergency department or wait to be told what's happening next. I look around the room and people are wearing Apple watches. We know that technology is there now to enable people's blood pressure, people's pulse, exercise, all of that information is readily available and if we're going to get people to take healthcare seriously the NHS has to move from fixing sick people into trying to keep as many people well as we can in order that we have the money and the skills to fix sick people. No absolutely and I think the studies have shown um, when you have co-production of uh, health plans and pathways with the patient involved, that in of itself has a dramatic impact in terms of efficiencies and cost savings. So it's a a, a breathtaking vision, a long way to go, but uh, fabulous. And one final question, Uh, New Cross Healthcare itself has a a mission to democratise advancements in treatment and care at home. We have a new legislative uh, environment with uh, integrated care systems. We haven't got the time to go into all of that, but part of uh, what will be required, this technological vision, which will help both wellness and efficiency, will be to ensure that clinicians and non-clinicians have the ongoing training um, and capability to make that step change into technological uh, change and use all of these things, use the data. Um, Final point is the training environment that you have how to support that because that's quite a big uh, big big challenge 
The question I ask when we come to training is, have you, have you read the user manual for the iPad? Very Definitely simple. not. Very, very simply, there isn't one, <laughs> because a three-year-old can pick it up and use it. Mm. If we want our patients and our clinicians to embrace technology, we know that these individuals will go home and shout across their kitchen and say, Alexa, put Rice Krispies on the shopping list. Everybody is using technology every single day of our lives. As an NHS, as a health and care system, let's take the technology that is there now and use it to enable our patients to manage their healthcare as best they can. And let's use it to support our clinicians to, to operate. I don't, I don't want every clinician operating at the top of their license because if everybody is operating at the top and they make a mistake, it becomes way, way, way more serious. Hmm. I want our clinicians to have that bandwidth to be able to operate, yes, at the top and operate with the rest of the team in a, in a comfortable zone that's delivering the best possible clinical health care that we can. Um, so I think technology and training, the NHS is miles behind. I've got 120,000 patients using the technology in Milton Keynes Hospital. Not a single patient has been trained to use that technology because I use myself as the barometer. If I can use it, I, am, I, am, I can promise you I can barely use a phone. So I am, I am the lowest. Well, I think that offers a tremendous amount of hope. And for me, the, the technological transformation that you pointed out, I think, within new models of care offers... I think perhaps the easiest or perhaps the simplest way to transform well-being and productivity. Uh, but the big takeaway for me is the any hours contract, I think, uh, promises to revolutionise the way staff are engaged, retained and attracted. Um, probably we can talk forever, um, but that's probably a great place uh, to stop for today. Um, and to say thank you, uh, Professor Joe Harrison, for your time and always uh, your vision. If you've enjoyed this uh, episode of Voices of Care, please like, follow or subscribe wherever you receive podcasts. And if you want to receive more information about how we're truly enabling the healthcare workforce of the future, please follow us at newcrosshealthcare.com forward slash Voices of Care. In the meantime, I'm Sahel Mirza. Thank you and goodbye.